I'm falling apart at the fucking seams here. Mood. I've just had to do something that, um... God, I'm dreading this. Okay, hello, listeners, and welcome to Legends in Review, a fun-time comedy podcast reviewing the decent question mark show uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow airing on the CW Network. Uh, I'm your host, Rachel. I'm your host, Ari. Why did you have such delay there? What... All right, and apparently we've got an opening bit, so hit me in the face with it. Throughout these few months, Ansem and King Mickey had tried to calm the children and allay their fears, but they were quickly reaching the end of their patience. I need to see him, Riku snapped. We're going. You wanted Kingdom Hearts fanfic. Is this you yours? wanted Kingdom Hearts fanfic. Is it yours? And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fucking ruin Rachel's life. I'm going to go and I'm going to find my old shitty Kingdom Hearts oh fanfic that is oh literally God. giving me oh my stomach God. pain. Oh my God. Keep going. And I'm going to fucking read it. And it took me Get forever to, to find something. Get to the this is, Ew, God, no. Get to oh the my God, Get no. To the do you know how long I... <laughs> Get to the part where how... Riku kisses the, uh, the, the red clown on the mouth. What? The clown. Do you need Axa? Yeah, probably. Okay, first first and foremost. It's not Axel. I mean, he's certainly a gigolo. Riku and Axel not aren't a gigolo, dating. I'm so sorry. I mean, he could be that too, but he's absolutely a They're juggalo. In as much as Axel and Roxas were dating, and then Riku and Sora are dating, but Roxas is, some, is a part of Sora, and Sora has like seven or eight people that have just been fucking around in his soul for like... I don't know how Would long. Would you say that Roxas um, is Yami and Sora is Yugi? Actually, yeah, that's yeah, kind of appropriate. Look, look at me pulling my shit out. You think I'm normal? You think I'm not a weeb? And then I just pull out Yu-Gi-Oh references. I pull up my shirt no, and I've got okay. a picture. I've got a full stomach tattoo of Seto Kaiba riding a blue eyes white dragon. <laughs> it's right oh, under my no. full sternum Sasuke tattoo. I have horrible taste. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right, keep going, keep going. Okay, and I, I, all right. It has shifted further, but the Heartless were no longer coming in spades. I'm not sure this is the wisest course of action, Anthony said. pause, pause. Was that a pun? Wait, what? The Heartless were coming in spades, hearts, spades. I need you to understand something. Yeah. I wrote this in, like, 2010. I don't think I understood how to write things. This has been a really great exercise in uh, hubris because when I'm like, I'm a good writer, I can kind of go back and be like, you know, in 2010, you also thought you were a good writer and look what that got you. Um, yeah, but you are a good. This is awful. I mean, like you're reading this and like you've only read a couple lines, but I'm like, so far, nothing stands out to me as particularly bad. It's just Kingdom Hearts fan fiction. I know, but it's mortifying. It's probably better written than the game Kingdom Hearts. Have you considered that maybe we've talked about anime just overall too much for a podcast about DC's uh, Legends of Tomorrow? Better than talking about DC's Legends of Tomorrow sometimes. Yeah, yeah. All right. I mean, like, I'm not... You this know episode what? Here, is great, but there, there, I think there is a specific reason that we're avoiding talking about it. But we'll, we'll go into that in a second. Let's go into the episode. I mean, here's the thing, is I'm legitimately, this episode was, like, fantastic. This episode was outstanding. This episode is the 11th episode of the third season called 420 Annihilate It. <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you, are you horny for this one? I'm horny for this one. Okay, uh, this was the most 
uncomfortably horny hour of television. Yeah, it was really... I have had to sit through since True Blood. It was like one of those... Before we go into that, I just wanted to I just wanted to let everybody know that's real, real horny. But I did want to make a couple corrections to some things that we've said in episodes that I meant to make corrections last week and then completely forgot because I don't really care that much. Correction one is that uh, we said that Ava's code name in the show was Mistress. Turns we, out Jess McCallan was on a show called Mistress. Is mistress? I don't know. I was. I. I should have been right. It, I. Here's the thing: is it might as fucking well be her code name. Yes. Um, yes. Everything about her character just. She's like a fucking blue blazered bayonetta. Like for fuck's sake. Um, and then the other correction is that in the uh, mid season finale, we were really pissed about Franz leaving, and we thought that the Legends crew had uh, not the crew. I've heard the crew is lovely. The Legends the like, producers and shit had, like, sort of pissed him off because this show allegedly hemorrhages actors like um, gushing water from a geyser. But it just turns out he somehow had a baby. I'm not really sure how that works. I don't know why the stork chose him. But it's there. And and we're proud of him. So congratulations on that baby. I know. It's it's a one. She's a wonderful baby. But it's admittedly in our defense. Season four. Yes. In our defense, it was super fucking bad timing. Um, and it did look like Vic, they just written him off because Victor Garber had left to go be in a more successful musical. Um, so not great, but I'm happy that it was for a positive reason and not because the show can't keep any of its non-white actors on, um, on retainer. But I, mean, I think that's fair. I, we're not going to say that it can. Yeah. We're, we're not go saying that, that a little it, later, allegedly. Good but at things. Let's go into the episode. This amazing fucking episode of television that, in my opinion, I think I, the rest of the season is going to have to literally just be fucking puppies and ice cream for me to be like... I mean, like, I'm sure... I'm hoping it'll be good. I'm not going to say I'm sure it's going to be good because I don't believe in hubris. Thank you. But Ooh. this was, in my opinion... And here's the thing is, like, you know, I'm, like, a huge Hawk Girl fan... But this is my favorite episode of Legends of Tomorrow of all time. That's fair. That makes sense. Um, I'm going to be level. This episode was... I I didn't come into it with any expectations. So when I say it's one of the best episodes of the whole show, I don't say that with... When I said the Vietnam episode was one of the best episodes of the show, that also was. But I was dreading that episode and thinking it was going to be a nightmare. So part of my enjoyment of it was because my expectations had been subverted and I didn't really have a lot of expectations for this going in and I managed to be pleasantly surprised um and really really enjoy myself and in a way that the show doesn't usually let me enjoy myself but this was just such a good I normally am not a fan of time loop plots I I tend to get you know confused by them or annoyed by them and I've read too much homestuck to say that with a straight face but it is true um i'm not a big fan of that sort of thing are you gonna read us your homestuck fan fiction next week i actually never i wrote like one homestuck fan fiction as a gift to a friend that's it never wrote homestuck fan fiction i never sorry i just you know how Nicki minaj has that song about people she's never had sex with 
Yeah, that's it's fair. you, I but it's happen. terrible fandoms you never wrote fan fiction for. I never, you know, while we're on that subject, never fucking watched Italia. Do you know how fucking proud of myself I am I've that never I never seen watched Italia? I mean, like, and here's the thing is that I sort of lurked on DeviantArt when I was like 15, 16, and I'm like, what the fuck is Italia? It's not worth it. It's, it's it, it was like it was like proto um, rise of like it was right wing nationalist imperialist crap, and no one really kind of realized that because we didn't have the same fan culture we do now. That's how you so get Attack fact, on Titan. Pretty much, it was like it was like a uh, prototype for Attack on Titan. But in any case, not that um, we are in like a huge position to be talking about the nationalism of other countries, but this is something that like Ari specifically has read up on from like Japanese yes, writers. Yes, Ari. This isn't. I should clarify. This is something that bothers me because white fans uncritically accept this stuff and find it cool and entertaining. And we already have enough imperialist propaganda of our own to deal with. We have to. We have to. Stop fucking falling for this shit. And it's worth examining how imperialist propaganda can have a broader appeal, even if it comes from a different nationalist perspective than our nationalist perspective. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, point is, is I've only been in so many bad fandoms, and I've only written fanfic for like three of them. In any case. One of them this- was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Fuck off. Um, and, oh, oh my god, you fucking hypocrite. Like, no, I was about to say, I, we are not free... Let he among us without sin be the first <laughs> to condemn. Someone, someone, just, uh, someone I know, um, a mutual of mine on Twitter was like tweeting today. She was like, should I watch like the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I heard it got worse after that, but is it worth watching the first I'm season? At not, least I'm not going to fucking like, literally Maury sent me that person's tweet and said, hey, what should I tell them? I, I, cause I said, that I was like, I am begging you. This is the, I, I have never had something kill a special interest of mine. I usually just let them kind of cycle in and out. Yeah, like Kingdom Hearts, while not fantastic, never like came to your house and shot Buddy the dog. I was going to say shot your dog, and I remember they actually did that. I hate it. It is without parody. I hate this. Um, But no, we got to get back on topic because this is just. No, it's okay because this is listen. This is comedy. This is comedy scatting. It's fine. But my point we're funny is I'm this funny. Ep- <laughs> this speaking of funny, this episode was so like, funny, hilarious. Like, and I'm gonna say this: real funny. Nick Zano, Nick Zano, and Tal Ashi are literally the two funniest actors on the show. Like both of them, I knew Nick was funny because we've seen him in interviews, and he just has this very good, dry, comedic yes. timing. But Tala is also hysterical, yes. which he hadn't really had a chance to kind of put forth, but I really, really loved their back and forth. And one of, I mean, I really did like basically everything about this episode, but one of my favorite things about it was how well and how immediately Nate and Zari got along in a way that like, even when she's around Ray, I think she almost feels intimidated to be too close to him because Ray is so all consumingly kind and yeah, gentle. Yeah, I mean, and she even said that. Yeah, so it's hard for her. But Nate was someone she sort of cottoned on to immediately and was like, oh, he's really, like, he let her be herself. He let her relax around him. She felt just, like, happy to be around him. And that was really nice. They very much, I don't normally like to say characters have, like, a big brother-little sister relationship because sometimes that's not used in the proper context. But, like, it very much felt like they were, like... Special interest pals. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was initially he was like very supportive of her. And when she's like, you're the first person that's ever listened to me or believed me, I'm, I'm just like, 
fall. I mean, I was say I was thinking like for episode convenience, I really don't think, especially because Amaya has been shown to sort of be fiercely on Zari's side before. There's like no, no real reason that Amaya wouldn't have believed her, but I think it was just for plot convenience. I think it's partially for plot and also partially um, Zari was very upset. And so I think if it had been Amaya who had come to her, she probably would have said, you're the first person to ever believe in me too. But she was like doing that thing after a big argument where she's yeah. just latching onto the person to be nice to her afterwards. And like, that's not a bad, like I get I that. I want to talk about that argument so bad because like there was so much nuance that was explored with Sarah and Zari this week. And like, yeah. you know, Ari, you're one of those, like, and you've always made the point that Sarah can be very vindictive and petty. And you were so fully vindicated this week. I love it. But, in but every way, because she really was that. like, well, if you don't like it, you can leave. And then she goes and she sits down with Ava and she's like, Zari is really important. It's the sort of thing where I want to talk about this because I think it's interesting. Evaluated in the context of Sarah and Amaya had an argument last season as well. But because it was near the end of the season and they were in a bit of a hurry to write the dumbest plot line ever... They didn't really have time to focus on it. Imagine, and it was also hurry up, boys. We've got to just fucking write something that's not even going to exist. Yeah, we're, we the gotta, the we're gonna wreck Ton out in like 20 minutes. But I'm writing it with my dick. <laughs> but Bill it is Clemmer types with his dick allegedly. That's fair. You that heard makes that sense. here with his strange uh, bird dick. <laughs> whips out his dick and just slaps it on the keyboard. Bill Clemmer has a cloaca. You heard it here first, allegedly. I'm sorry. Bill Clemmer allegedly has a cloaca. Thank you for coming there to my TED Talk, allegedly. Now that's legal. Um, my, I think the thing also is the vantage point from which Sarah was having both of those arguments is interesting because when she had the argument with Amaya, Amaya was basically yelling at her to get her shit together and be a better leader. Um, and now this argument she's having with Zari is her having gotten her shit together and become a better leader. And she's... You said something last night that I actually really loved where yes. you were kind of yelling, where Sarah was yelling at Zari for not being grown up enough because she's resentful of the fact that she had to grow up. Yes. And I definitely got that vibe. I think it's very much, she did not expect to be in charge this long and this consistently. Mm -hmm. It's the sort of thing where in season two, when she was captain, I think she always kind of was doing it like in this idea that Rip was going to come back and Rip was going to take the ship back and Rip was going to be captain again. Mm -hmm. And that was fine. And then he did for a little bit. And then he wasn't really like, he still was dealing with crippling depression. And so mm -hmm. he wasn't really doing a very good job because he was, you know, incredibly depressed. And then Arthur Darville fucked off to play in music festivals. So Rip went and formed the Time Bureau and Sarah kind of had to accept that for pretty much permanently from now on, the ship was hers and she was in charge. And it's not like with Nyssa and Sarah training to be an assassin where Sarah clearly got a lot of training and a very hands-on kind of mentorship, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> you said hands because they were fucking. <laughs> Yeah, but <laughs> but it is the sort of thing where Rip really didn't give her anything more than maybe like a crash course in being captain. She did kind of have to figure all this out on her own and grow up and learn a lot of stuff the hard way. And I think she's very, yeah. whether she acknowledges it or not, she's a little resentful of Zara kind of showing up and just benefiting from that without, in Sarah's mind, when she's being petty and vindictive, doing enough to justify it. I mean, um, yeah, she's kind of like, first of all, like, you know, when I came in with a chip on my shoulder, you know, like, 
And it's one of those things where she's, but like she says, I don't like being mom. She's like, why can't you be easier on me so that I don't have to discipline you? Like, yes, why do it's I, it's one of those things that you have when you are in a position of authority where you start to sort of resent people and you're like, why are you making me be the bad guy? Yes. And it's very hard because that can make you feel like, like a shitty person. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, when I have to deal with people, when I'm in charge and I have to come down hard on someone, I'm like, I always feel like a dick. And I'm like, yeah. even if they're not doing what I need them to do so that nobody gets in trouble, it's still, it makes you feel like an asshole for having to be the one yeah. to like yell at someone. And yeah. it did. And it's funny that even when she was disciplining Zari, it wasn't really very parental. It was very... It almost reminded me of the argument Lilo and Nani had in Lilo and Stitch. That is exactly what it was. Because this is someone who's not a parent, who doesn't have parental authority. So she doesn't tell Zari, hey, go cool cool off for a little bit, and we'll talk about this later. You know who she I... goes, well, fine, you can fuck off then, and I'll, bitch. And then guess. You know who I bet she was thinking of when she did that? Her and Laurel. I bet she was thinking about how Laurel always used to, and like, and like, because remember, of course, that Sarah's parents are horrible and sort of always pitted her and her sister against each other for affection. And so, like, she never really understood why Laurel would be kind of hard on her when her parents weren't. And now she's in this position, and I can just, and like, and this is one of those things is that, like, especially this season, Katie has grown as an actress so much. Yes, watching like, her act season one versus now. That she is thinking about, especially because she mentions her sister multiple times this episode. Yes, it's it's honestly phenomenal. Also, I can't wait for people to be like, when did Laura, when did their parents pit each other against you? They're bad parents. They're, They're bad parents, people. Stacey. They're pieces of shit and they should be dead. I did kind of love that Sarah felt helpless and frustrated probably as helpless and frustrated as Zari mm -hmm. but she didn't feel like she could communicate that because she's like I still need to have the authority in this situation because I need Zari to take me seriously so that I can continue to be captain it wasn't an argument on equal ground like she can have an argument on equal ground with she used to have them with Mick or with Ray or at, like any member of the team I mean, and now the thing is that Amaya came in sort of already a fully fledged agent Yes, she was already used to being on a team. And if anything, she was giving Sarah a hard time because she wasn't being a team leader enough. Yeah. So that's why the two arguments are very different. But it was very well, like, yeah. I mean, when you said Katie has grown, like, I'm thinking, and, like, she really right. has. You could feel how frustrated and tired Sarah was. And Zari's reaction, to go back to Zari, because this episode is all about yeah. Zari, as yes. it should be. And to go back to Zari's reaction, first off, um, maybe when you're mad at a girl, don't tell her to kiss your ass. Secondly, yeah, if we're um, gonna get into, uh, oh God, let's not get into the weird horniness. Getting, let's not get into the weird horniness just yet. Let's talk about. Let's focus on do some we fun. Wanna, hold on, I have to ask. I have to ask you a question because it's going to influence how I keep talking. Yes. Do we want to drop the spoiler at the end of the episode? Do we want to do the uh, Tolstoy teaching Eric Karenina thing and be like, okay, well, she throws herself in front of a train. Now let's evaluate the book in yes, that context. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, so um, if you haven't seen the episode already, sorry, going to spoil it for you. It's for the best. Gideon has been simulating the entire episode past the point where Zari got... Hey, did you know simulating is only, is, only, is only one letter away from uh, stimulating? You're going to hell. Yeah. Um, so is Gideon. But so when Gideon got like time jizz on Zari's face, yeah, okay, after so that... That's corny point number one. is after that, that point... Zari goes to fix Gideon and pulls a tube and Gideon squirts in her face. And, and like, and how are we not supposed to see it like that? 
I mean, if you're not a pervert, you'd be like, oh, well, she was, like, spitting in her face because she was, like, mad at her. But that's not... How is that less sexual? Gideon is a horny weed bitch. How is is Gideon (laughs) spitting in her mouth less sexual? I didn't mean mouth. I meant, like, in her face. Like, you know, like, blowing a raspberry at her. But this show is run by perverts. And after the shit that they pulled, the flash, perverts, all of them. Um, So Zari gets time jizz in her face. And after that, everything until the very end of the episode again is a simulation. Um, I actually really liked this. There's only really been a few time loop episodes of anything that I've really enjoyed. And one of them was when the adventure zone did it. And this episode was the, actually, I think handled it better um, in that we saw that, one of the things I liked. And the reason that I liked this time loop episode so much is that Zari remembered and changed and grew and it wasn't just a reset button she was able to do this episode and kind of come out of it a better person in a way that was still very meaningful even though technically none of it ever happened you still felt the impact of the episode so you didn't feel like you'd been cheated by watching a it was all a simulation episode Mm -hmm. making it so that you still get the character development and payoff from a time loop episode is Honestly, a really strong writing move, and I'm proud of the show for pulling it off, yes. but it probably is also in large part because Paula is just a fantastic yes. actress. I mean, like, I really want to go into, like, everything Tala did this episode. Like, if we want to talk about how Katie grew, like, that's great, but Tala, I mean, and I'm not saying one is better than the other. Tala no, no, had to Tala carry this to entire episode really. on her fucking back. Tala literally took this episode from start to finish. Like, and I, and like, it's astounding because she's new and the writing staff Mm. looked at her and said, this is a person that can carry an episode. And like, and like she can, they're completely fucking right. It was like such a smart call to trust her with this. Mm -hmm. They trusted her and it paid off and it was worth it. But it is legitimately something where I think the difference in my praise for Katie this episode and my praise for Tala this episode is Katie, we watched grow. Tala, we got to see some of her in the first half of season three. And I was like, this is this is a phenomenal actress. She's really good at handling handling sentimental moments. She always makes me feel really strongly when she's talking, like when she's with baby Ray or when she's with Nora. And she always made me feel and then she could be really funny and very deadpan, but she didn't really get a lot of both. Like, we got to see these flashes of talent, but they were a sort of like a blink and you'll miss it thing. And this whole episode, we got to see her be really funny and have just the most fucking heartbreaking yeah, sequences. Yeah, she made me go through every single emotion a human being can feel. Yeah, no, I mean, like, legitimately, like, this episode... Yeah. We she, talked before about how sometimes legends can't handle the roller coaster between funny and heartrending, um, or dark and funny and any combination of the three. Um, this episode balanced being funny. With I mean, being they might not be able to, but Tala fucking can. Sorry, Tala can. I mean, no. Part of it was definitely like either absolutely some sequences where I'm like, if she hadn't been acting her face off, the scene probably would have fallen flat. Mm-hmm. But. For the most part, this was genuinely well-balanced. It was really fun to watch her go from, fuck it, let's just eat whipped cream out of the can and read Nick's incredibly long erotica novel. We'll and get then, to that. We'll get to that novel. You know, we haven't we'll forgotten that, you. 
and like screw around and you know and having Nate and Amaya having sex off camera while she just makes the most exhausted face that was all really funny and then she could still do the bit where she's like well fuck it I guess I'll kill myself and see if that brings us out of the time loop and have that go down in a way that is still really fucking sad and Mm -hmm. awful and you could believe that this is someone who had kind of gotten depressed because of the entropy that the time loop brings on in a way that was still really believable and really sad Mm -hmm. while not making you feel like the funny stuff was either out of place or sort of invalidated by the more intense moments um, it was absolutely phenomenal. Like she, I, I, I don't, I, I'm sorry. Like it was so that scene where she was like, maybe if I kill myself, it'll bring me out of the time loop. Mm-hmm. That was so fucking. I mean, sad. here's the thing. It was really sad. And I think we discussed last week that we were sort of like, huh? Like, was she in an institution or was she just, I'm like, this does, I mean, a lot of this, I think her with the bomb suggested, um, like stronger mental illness vibes than her with the. Um, gun, because, like, the thing about... when The gun felt more like a a way out kind of thing, like, in a very literal sense. It felt like a way out, but it's... shoot, Like, killing yourself to end the time loop is kind of a expected piece of the time loop narrative. Yes. It's, like, the oldest... It's it's the oldest trick in the book, so to speak. Yes. And so, it usually either works, or... And, like, that's when the narrative, the time loop ends... Mm-hmm. Or in Zari's case, like we know now that Gideon stopped it specifically. Yes. So it's the sort of thing where it it um it wasn't necessarily as big an indicator of suicidal ideation as as the bomb thing just very much being when she's holding the bomb and she thinks she's about to die is very not even like she has no regrets. She's not afraid in a way that felt very much given previous um, you know, hints on the show that she's been institutionalized, very mentally ill in a very relatable yes. way. But I mean, here's the thing is we don't know yet. I mean, they might a smarter show might try to make a parallel between how we don't really have anywhere else for people to go now that we've closed a lot of mental institutions in America, so we just sort of throw them in the hospital or throw them in prison. And are you the expecting? Best. Are you expecting Legends to fucking comment on the budgetary crisis no, no, I am this not. nation is in? Oh God, no! Absolutely the fuck not. But that's the thing is, like, I would be interested. To is that see... our last hope in getting any funding for anything? Is Legends no. of Tomorrow? Oh God, no! But with that said, I think it's interesting that the ambiguity is there because there's such a big gap in terms of mental health services. And I can't imagine given that she comes from a dystopian future that it's improved. So whether or not she was in a mental institution or whether she was in a hospital or whether she was in a prison because of um, her meta powers and everything doesn't really matter because the effect at this point is the same. And it clearly, if she wasn't already mentally ill prior to being institutionalized, it probably she tells Ray specifically places like this only make people crazier. Yeah, like it seems to be that being institutionalized made it worse, no the matter how. The institutional system is not in a good place. No, God, and no. I'm not saying. And also, to our listeners, I'm not saying if you if you need help or if you are an active harm to yourself, please do not no. try to solve it on your own. Mm. Um, seek help. Seek Just help. Be realistic about yeah. where the best place to get help is. Yeah. And know your rights if you yes. are going to the hospital and yes. seeking care. That's the biggest thing I can say. Know your rights where you're going to the hospital. And not all places are created equal. Know where you're going. 
Must, mm-hmm. first if, and especially if you have the choice. Yes. If you're choosing to self-admit, please do your research before you decide what hospital to go to. Yes. Um, and if you need to sorry, go to rehab, please go to rehab. Yes. Oh my God. Go to rehab. Holy shit. I cannot stress that enough. Um, that, that was a really, that was heavy, but it was worth it because, you know, we're going to be bouncing back and forth between funny and, and well, yeah, because sad. that's exactly what this episode that's, did. That's this episode. Yeah. Somehow um, effortlessly. I'm not really sure how, but I think it's because, um, fucking Tala can literally just juggle. She could, she's got the fucking world on her finger, my guy. And even when she wasn't, even when she wasn't bouncing off of someone else, because like, yeah, her and Nate together was funny, but even when it was just her by herself, she was still able to basically carry the bit mm-hmm. by herself. Can I, um, like literally when she says, kill me now and the expression she makes and the way she plays, like just with her face, that was so funny. I, I didn't like just, no, I didn't, not kill it was me funny. now, her expression, just like, like it just. It, it, was it very- wasn't, it wasn't my favorite. It wasn't, she had funnier moments for me. I liked oh, yeah. that one, but I was kind of like, eh. uh, like, I mean, I liked it. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't my most favorite. Yes. Um, I think because of context surrounding the bit, but we'll get into that later yes. because this is still the, um, Tala praise hour, but, yes. uh, all I- Tala all the time. Because I real again, like she got to shine this episode because she was so deadpan, and I think mm-hmm. that's part of what made the humor work alongside the the more intense moments. Because it wasn't as much as the situation she was in was, you know, kind of wacky and off the wall sort of comedy. Mm-hmm. She reacted to it like with a very kind of sort of deadpan, resigned attitude for the most part. Yep. So it was easier to bounce back and forth between like mania and depression in terms of the writing, mm-hmm. but. I honestly really loved her learning how to play the violin. It was subtle. Did you know Tala actually knows how to play the violin? Yeah, I was literally about to say, hey, also, Tala plays the violin for real. She's so talented. Why is she here? Yeah, I was thinking that today. I'm like, why the fuck are you and Maisie here? Like, you are both so fucking smart and so good, and you're here? Huh? Did you get lost? What does Phil have on you? Is it another (laughs) witch jar? Is it the witch jar he's using to fucking trap bone? John, did I just almost call John Noble Bone Noble? For no reason. <laughs> John Noble's witch jar is next to Tal's, I assume, yeah. Um, um, for people who don't wild. know, a witch jar is something um, where you have, like, a specific kind of, like, mud or dirt, right? Oh. And some of the witch's hair. And if you drop a match in it, it kills the witch. Always useful, in case you need to kill a witch for whatever reason. And you're probably like, um, Rachel, why didn't you just use one of those on your nana? Because she was a demon. Hard. Yeah, they're very different. Witches are human. Demons are preternatural beings. Thank you. That said, um, I really did love seeing, knowing that, because we did do the Eric Anna Karenina thing, I'm going to yeah. go back to, knowing that this whole episode was how Gideon thinks the teen behaves based on her observations and extrapolations about them. Yes. It's so interesting because everyone this episode it's not so apparent that you'll, well, I mean, I realized it, but like, it's the sort of thing where you could watch the episode without thinking the characters are too off. It was other things that clued me into the fact that this was like Gideon's plan. Yeah. What clued you in? Um, there, first off the robot is secondly, the whole bit at the beginning when they're like, you need to fix Gideon. I was like, okay. So the fact that she when never Gideon actually said got We're not friends. We're acquaintances. I was like, Oh, we're going to freaky Friday, like not freaky Friday, so to speak, but you know what I mean? Yes, well, that I was like, so that, and also, I mean, number one, we knew Gid- Human Gideon was going to show up, and two, um, there was just a lot of back and forth between, oh, I need to go fix Gideon, I have to, there were a lot of reminders that 
that um, Tala Zari had done something to Gideon that she'd never really resolved. So that was kind of obviously connected to the to the bomb or the loop or whatever. But mm-hmm. there there were a lot of implications that something was off, but not in terms of the characterization. That said, there were a couple of moments where mixed behavior, especially this episode, was very interesting because it implies that Gideon specifically sees a side of Mick that not everyone else on the team is privy to as often. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that. That was the big thing is that like a lot of mixed behavior, like simulation mixed behavior was a lot softer. Yes. A lot more open and receptive. Oh and my God, you're so right. Holy shit. Yeah, I have a, I have a much that. stupider point to make after you. No, don't, don't sell yourself short, dude. No, no, it, it is. Continue. It's not. It's, you're allowed to be stupid. I, I still love you. Thank but you. I did think that was really interesting because we kind of get the implication that, you know, Gideon has been the one medicating Mick, that they're close in some way. And it's never really quite made explicit. But stuff like this and the fact that she chose to have him in the simulation as working on his novel, which I assume she's contributed to in some way, shape, or form, because it's booby-trapped with some of the time jizz. So I would love if this erotic friend fiction was in collaboration with Gideon, because that's adorable. All right, Um, that actually brings me to my point, which is like, okay, so Gideon sees the team. Like, this is all Gideon's simulation of how she sees the team. She sees everyone on this team as so fucking horny. Oh my god, yeah. I was going to get that too, don't worry. shit. This is why I laugh when people are like, oh, you know, Amaya's this or Amaya's that. I'm like, Amaya? Amaya is the horniest motherfucker. Uh, Amaya spent this entire simulation fucking mate. The entire thing. The reason she wasn't around Zari so much was because she was literally just fucking Nate. And that is hysterical to me. Because sometimes... I mean... You, sometimes you just gotta do what you gotta do. I really, I mean, again, I love also that Gideon knows how fucking tender and soft Nate is for Amaya in a way where he's so fucking sad and he loves her so much and he's Actually, so dumb. if we're going to talk about being sad and in love with Amaya. Zari also, I'm going to get to that because I want to talk yeah. about that in the context of like the bomb scene because like that was such a. Yeah, there fucking... was a lot. There's a lot to unpack there, not just in terms of Zari and Amaya, but in terms of Zari's character and her sexuality. So maybe we should get there. Yes, and that's going to I'm saving that because I want to compare and contrast it to the Ava and Sarah scene this episode. But I don't want to get into that until later, yes. because if you were expecting to hear about Ava Lance, tough shit. This is the Zari episode. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was cute. Case. It was very good, but it was not. It was the... phenomenal. I want to talk yeah. about it. Don't get yes. me wrong, but you're going to have to listen to how great Zari is first. Um, she's fucking fantastic. That, she's so great. But <laughs> I mean, that was the thing is this was just, fuck, this was a good episode. Like what just, she was the character who needed this episode the most. Too. Yes. It not only did they trust her to carry this whole episode on her shoulders. And then she did. She was a character who sorely needed this because even Nate and Amaya at this point, even though they joined in season two, we know who they are and what they're about by mm-hmm. now. Oh, big, big we, time. We know who Zari is, but we haven't seen enough of her. And this was, she needed this episode and she, she got, well, she got everything yeah. she needed and more. And we I'm know so Zari is good, but we had not seen that goodness. I mean, we've seen her goodness push, but not against the goodness of the other people on this team. Yes. And that's the thing is this episode did acknowledge like Zari has been deliberately sort of keeping herself at a distance from the team. Um, and I also think it's interesting, too, because even when we talk about Amaya and Zari, 
Amaya's been trying to reach out to Zari because she knows yeah. Zari's important to her, but Zari has not reciprocated that in the same way. A lot yes. of the a lot of the Amari stuff, and this is not this is not a drag on the ship, but this is just Amaya has been the one who's like Zari and I are like you know we have a connection, we yeah. have to we have to work yeah. together, we're friends, and Zari has been like, great, awesome, okay, I'm gonna bye and like not even in a mean way but she's just been putting herself at a distance because you know the implication is that she thinks she's gonna have to leave these people again and she doesn't want to be hurt when she inevitably has to leave them yep and you know that's sad in its own right but it's so good to have her see that this is her family and that these people do care about her and even if she leaves them at the end of this they will still be her family and I love that and getting a little emotional thinking about it i mean like i'm getting emotional because like she better fucking like she better not go anywhere i will glue no i don't that's the thing is i i genuinely feel like um i actually want to see a more fleshed out version of what we saw in season one with rip sort of like well i can't bring my family back might as well just pile it into the fucking sun and getting being like you can't because i love you but also sort of like zari either saving her family but some complications come up where she can't go back to them. Like they're still going to be alive, but you're closed out of that part of time forever. Like you can't ever go back to that point in time or um, she can't save them and has to kind of reconcile that. But I think it might be more interesting as if the cost of her closing that loophole is she can't go back to them because it would be a really interesting way of examining the kind of the costs of manipulating events in time without necessarily having to do that tired old bullshit of, oh, you can't change anything. Time is always going to happen how it's supposed to happen. Yeah, like, let's let time change happen, but in different ways. Yes. So hopefully something more interesting happens with that. Um, I just want her to stay on the show. Uh, I mean, I was just thinking, it was really interesting, because, like, in in the episode, she puts on the Hawkgirl helmet briefly, which is Mm -hmm. one, I immediately got a text from Phil Klemmer afterwards that said, I've done it. Can I have my family back? And it was not my request. He did not meet the original requirements. So I just sent him a picture of his family holding up the day's newspaper. And I don't, I don't have negotiate. Okay. That's the first rule of business. And then, um, incidentally, apparently like Sierra Renee, who plays hot girl, like, she's like, Hey, why did the legends have, Hawkgirl's helmet because she did she and Carter did put their helmets on before they flew off but what I really kind of thought was funny about her tweet specifically was not that it was like and like and this is why I really appreciate it it wasn't mean towards like Tala or Zari at all it was just kind Mm -mm. of like your ex she's like oh my ex still has my number yeah and it was also the sort of thing where things where I thought it was kind of it just it said to me it smacked of really wanting her attention allegedly like, it said to me, like, baby, like, I want, like, I almost feel like at this point they must have said something to her at some point. I just don't think she trusts them, allegedly. No, and that's fair. I do think, I do think they want her back. I think it's a matter of her not wanting to come back. And that's completely fair, given everything allegedly that went on. Yes. But I also thought that in the show context, ignoring the outside context, yeah. I thought it was very sweet that given that this was part of the simulation, that Gideon still had Kendra's things as part of the simulation. Like Gideon misses Kendra too. And um, that broke my heart. Not only and it does, also made me really yeah. sad that Sierra kind of saw that. Not because I, 
like just because I'm like you sh- you should I wish you were still here too I wish this was a place you could feel safe acting in well, um, yeah she and France have been like tweeting at each other a lot more since he got off the show and it's kind of making me eyes emoji allegedly but like I'll just leave that at that yeah it, it just it makes me it makes me sad that she can't be here but that's an outside context even in an internal context it makes me so yeah, sad and it's just one of those things Ezra. where I'm like I think this is a show where the cast really likes each other and Dominic is always taking photos of the crew and stuff like that and mm-hmm. it just it does seem like a pretty good environment but then it also seems like there's a lot of not good things happening allegedly and that just makes me very sad well you know they all take selfies with each other and they might take selfies with the crew but we don't really see a lot of the producers yeah. involved in the goings on and Phil seems like a pretty chill dude yes you know relatively speaking even though we dunk on him constantly but given who the other producers are I we'll think take it's very Phil's cloaca any day of the fucking week yeah I do think it's interesting and that, that, yeah, and that is gonna be a t-shirt saying Jesus Christ <laughs> um that said uh that was just I miss, I miss her baby come back but um I it means that Sarah had the helmet reproduced to cry into. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but I did just love... I loved Nate legitimately just saying to Zari, fuck it, if we're just resetting the loop, you might as well go crazy for a little bit. Because that was a really interesting mm-hmm. thing to say. Like, not even just, it's okay if you don't fix it in this loop because nothing, like, it won't matter, we'll restart again. Mm-hmm. But just don't even fucking bother trying to fix it for a little while. Just try to fuck around and have some fun while you can. Because that was, I think, the most vital part of her actually bonding with the team. Not that the other things that happened didn't also matter, but I'm sure in those thousands of loops, um, she did a lot of stuff that I think helped her sort of bond with the team, even if they're not going to remember it, and that was important towards her development. So even though it was just a montage, I think one of the things that contributed the most to her lasting development was the fact that for a little while she said, fuck it no con there's no rules and she had and a good there time. really weren't there really weren't just this once um, I, I mean i, I also think that. i kind of wanted to go over sort of what we learned about the team from this bottle episode because yeah it's gideon simulation but then we also found out that it sort of was pretty true to life it's well because I gideon mean, does was, know them all very it was well Gideon simulation and i think the first hint should have been that rip was constantly just standing there swashbuckling swashbuckling on a white horse in the background which was which was weird which was weird that should have been a a hint that that he kept running around going i'll help you but then i have to return to my beautiful wife gideon the only (laughs) woman i've ever met or loved (laughs) father of my son gideon it was weird it was it was a little weird and it was a little out of place that probably should have been a cue but (laughs) yes that that said um I mean, yes, that's the thing is Gideon also, not that much changed, but again, the fact that Gideon thinks of all of them as soft and sweet and loving and horny is really funny to me. I mean, isn't that Uh, how we all think of them? Yes. I mean, like that's the thing. Speaking of someone who writes fic, because like I've been thinking about this a little bit on and off, but speaking of someone who has like written fic for the show... Gideon, Gideon simulation felt like fanfic of the characters in a very good way. In a way that I doubt was deliberate. It was a love letter to fanfiction writers, honestly. It's like sometimes people well, yeah, do just fan stuff. Well, yeah, it's a novel, too. It was um, sometimes people do fan stuff and it's like, oh, our fans are so weird. They're so creepy. And this was honestly like 
the thought and interpretation you put into them, like we're putting it in too. We might not have the money like other people do, but we have the heart. God damn it. Yeah. Like for real, we especially have, given that it was. How many Gideon's times am I allowed to say cloaca this episode? I don't know, but you got to stop. Okay. Um, I'm posing a fine, but I did like that. The implication that like, again, these were all simulations like that Gideon kind of thought the team would be like, but it who is, she thought the team yes. would be like was not only very nice and very caring and very good people who loved each other a lot, but it was also mostly mostly true. And I liked that because even in more subtle and clever sort of ex- examinations of fandom and characterization and fandom, you get stuff like the Ember Island players, which was very yes. funny and very self-aware, but it was admittedly like... It the was Zutara stuff comment. came off kind of mean. Hold on. Yeah, well, the Zutara stuff came off kind of mean, um, but also it was still exaggerated over the top parodies of these characters. And we see the real versions of the characters sort of reacting uncomfortably, but none of that happened. The the versions of the characters in the simulation weren't super over exaggerated. It was more like showing it felt because like when I write fan fiction, what I try to do very often is I'm sort of presenting a behind the scenes, what I think happens in between the big events that the plot, yes. you know, it's found on. I write, you know, if, if, the, if the show has them at Waterloo during the disco craze, I write about them doing laundry and trying to get their crazy blue eyeshadow glitter disco makeup off after the they Waterloo literally disco doing craze. the laundry. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing. In a like, gay that way. Oh my God, I'll guess that later. But that to me is fan fiction. It's Mm -hmm. nice to see them acknowledge that a lot of times fan fiction is in and of itself just kind of a bottle episode of a show. You're usually only writing about the characters in a, in a brief moment in time, not a lot really changes or develops. And like, that's okay because it's a character exploration. I would argue that bottle episodes and fan fiction are effectively the same thing um, in a lot of ways. I think I just loved how non mean spirited all of it was. And it was very subtle and it was very sweet. And mm-hmm. there was never a point where I ever felt called out as a fan. Um, and I, mean, I never I certainly felt... felt called out, but not in a mean way. Yeah, more but not like just, in a mean way. More in just like, okay, so let me, can I just say that scene where Nick Zano is eating that whipped cream because I gift it because I'm ready to join Satan's embrace. Um, he like keeps laughing and I can yeah. tell he's laughing because you know off screen the crew is yelling like take it in the mouth and stuff like that. Yeah, in your mouth all at once. Um, if they, 100%. if that's actually what they said, I'm suing. Yes, um, that that was really funny. But it is, it is. First off, he eats whipped cream like a fucking idiot. Second, what kind of person uh, sprays the whipped cream stream and then starts trying to eat from the stream instead of just putting the nozzle in your mouth? No you wonder put it Ray on, won't. I always put this it, is why I, Ray I, won't make love to you because you don't know how to put things in your mouth, Nathaniel. That's fair. Was that too harsh? No, that's fair because incidentally, that's the reason we only saw <laughs> Brandon films from the waist up. Yeah, for hello, nine- hello. My name. Remember how last week we had a look at his dick. We had a real discussion about whether or not they tucked Brandon Routh or not. They absolutely did not. And this week, they was shooting Brandon Routh exclusively above the waist. Like there's, we really do not see him below the waist. He keeps falling over because they literally are frantically trying. To Can I also just mention it takes a lot of skill to fall. Yeah, no, especially like that's a real film. acting talent. Like when when Dominic um, fell flat on his back in the fourth episode and then Brandon had to keep falling this episode like that takes also because he's got such a fucking long way to go. 
he's still, he's got a long way to go and he's in heels. So that was very impressive. Like, honestly, like kudos, kudos to uh, Brandon for also just not even, I swear to God, his outfit was so much. Uh, it was so much for a lot of reasons. I had a, I had a, I literally said, oh, maybe, maybe, hold on, extend yes. a point. I'm almost done. I promise. Oh, no, no, you but, go, you go. No, it's okay. I'm almost done. Promise. But I did, again, I loved how non-mean spirited this was. And I loved specifically the implication that it wasn't a misunderstanding or an exaggeration or outright wrong interpretations of the characters. You know, if we assume that this is supposed to be like Gideon's fanfic, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. it was seeing a side of them that they just didn't often show. And that is a really important distinction because sometimes I'll write a character in a fic behaving in a way that might not seem as readily apparent um, based on things they do in canon. But part of fanfic is looking at events and things that happen to a character in canon and then asking yourself, how would all those events change this character? How might that influence their behavior when they're not doing something like in a superhero show, like when they're not saving the world? Mm -hmm. How does their personality change based on things that have happened to them? So it was a very genuine and subtle sort of look at fanfic and fandom and character. And even if, even if that wasn't deliberate, it was a very deliberate look at character interpretation and all the different ways you can see a person as both a writer and like as a friend. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that because again, very subtle, no, not condemning, just a really nice, interesting look at characterization Mm -hmm. and how we see only just facets of people or characters and how they might change if we viewed them in different contexts. That's so interesting because you know what this episode towards character interpretation proved? Okay. That we're always right. Yeah, that too. Yeah, but also, yeah, Congratulations. Once again, the evidence for the fact that this was a fanfic thing is because everybody was fucking the entire time. Yeah. All right. I, I personally love this episode. Two things. One, when Mick says busty alien, he means Ray. And you can mean Ray in one of two ways. One, because Brandon Routh's chest is the size of the state of Rhode Island. Maybe two Rhode Islands. Maybe each pectoral is a Rhode Island. It's definitely two Rhode Islands. It's two Rhode Islands. And um, a large chest can easily be a translation for a huge dick. Yeah, honestly, especially if it's erotica. And I mean, to be honest with... Yeah, like how you pointed out, it was like satirically heterosexual. Yes. And I mean, because the show is the show, I can say that it really it it, it felt like over the top comedy. There's a scene in Justice League International, which is uh, my favorite Justice League team. But Ted Cord is one of the characters I would argue is one of the most obvious closeted latent homosexuals in all of comics. And that's fucking saying something because this is comics. There's Mm -hmm. the scene where they break into his room um, and it's just got like. Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue posters on the cover, a fucking poster of a race car, a goddamn like fold out five foot long. Um, what a heterosexual. Life. It literally felt like I was watching. I, I looked at the panel and I'm looking at the art and I'm like, this feels like if you said, draw me the most sarcastic looking heterosexual bedroom you can think of. That's really kind of the artistic cue there. And that's very much how I felt about Mick's. Um, erotic friend fiction because 
given the context that this is also effectively an episode of Gideon's fan fiction, um, and everyone is so fucking horny and smokes weed all the goddamn time. Yeah, hey, can we mention how he goes, hey, did you get into Nate's root stash? Like, after, after they got super high on that, they just fucking kept it around. Yes. First, I, I, because I, I was, I was like, I have never heard someone use the term "root" to refer to drugs. Well, but because it's a special, that, it's the special hallucinogenic drug. And speaking yeah, of which, we did. We like the, I just want, I want to commemorate legends. It's taken us. Um, let me just see how many. I think it's this is the forty-fourth episode of the show, and I'm getting a little emotional thinking about it. We finally you. said four twenty. Here's the thing, because I want to talk about that. Because when he said you're going to die on 420. And I, I, I was like, why do nice. we even fucking do a podcast? Why do we even <laughs> fucking bother? Why do we bother making a podcast that is effectively about, Hey, isn't this show a funny weed stoner comedy? Ha ha. It's so weird how everyone's totally high and fucking all the time. And then the show itself makes an episode that's like, ha ha. Isn't it so funny that we're a weed stoner comedy and everyone's fucking all the time. And I, why? Why you can't? I can't it's not tell funny who's, when who's I make fun of you. Brand. It's just I literally don't know how to respond when they're making fun of themselves. Like you're not allowed to make fun of the fact that you're a stoner comedy because if you do, I lose my entire. Bit. Yeah. No. The the yeah. what did Sir Raven say? You fools! You've messed with the natural. <laughs> you're you're gonna kill us. You're gonna like, kill us all. Can't... You're gonna unravel the fucking thread of existence. I hate it. I hate it so fucking much. Like, the fact that they acknowledged it that blatantly in this episode. I'm genuinely a little sad he wasn't also, like, also, it's June 9th. Like, fuck. <laughs> I, I, nice. I hate. Nice. <laughs> Wait, last last week was 1969. Nice. nice. Okay, so we got, a, we got a 69 joke and a 420 joke. I fucking hate this show. I don't. Hello. I don't. Hello. I'm television ha- Dominic Pistel, and, and I have some complaints. I have so many complaints. Why do we even bother having a show? Secondly, um, I cannot fucking believe they all died on 420. And also the fact that Gideon brought in Gary because she found him, like, oddly endearing is really cute because his actor is also incredibly funny. I bet Um, he reminds her of Young Rip. Oh, I hate you, Di. Um, thanks. I hate it. I also just want to say it was such, it was so satisfying that not only is Mick writing, but that he's a good writer. Yes. Like, I just love how, like, low-key smart Mick always ends up being. It's the sort of thing where I legitimately really appreciated it because sometimes the show can say things about Mick's behavior or um, idiosyncrasies or mannerisms in a way that can feel a little ableist or classist or just kind of unfair and shitty. But it's usually number one episodes Mark Guggenheim wrote. And secondly... We're on to you. I see you, you fucker. But this was nice because they could have had, again, this is when I'm like, this is genuinely, legitimately the best episode I've ever seen talking about character and narrative um, and fandom, however subtly, like that I've ever seen a television show cover. Uh, This was so gentle in its examination and not sort of nasty and critiquing in a good way. A good thing they did in a way that they avoided that was because Nick was a genuinely good writer. They could have easily made it like the schlocky piece of trash and had Zari and Nate make fun of it and have Mick be embarrassed about it. But Zari literally says, do what you love. This is a part of you. Like don't hide it. Don't be embarrassed by it. And number one, 
And she's talking about the fact that you're in love with Ray, fuck ass. And secondly, it was just really nice to see that because, again, it felt like, hey, fanfic writers, hey, people in fandom who talk about our characters and do all this stuff, we see you, we respect you, keep it going. And as someone who writes fic and does this podcast, it felt very nice to see a character who I really identify with and really appreciate also get told, hey, what you're doing is good. This is a part of you. Yeah. You should be proud of it. It was going. weird when Tala looked directly into the camera and said, keep doing what you love, except the two of you that have that horrible podcast. Please stop. <laughs> that was a little hopefully, That was a little hurtful, but, but not unfair. It was hurtful, but not unfair. <laughs> it, was, it was a little weird. Um... <laughs> But I do, I do, I really liked it. Um, it felt very affirming. And it was hap- It was just made me happy to see Mick get validated in a way that didn't come back to sort of humiliate him or bite him in the ass. Like, mm-hmm. there was no punchline to Mick being validated as a writer. There was no, oh, but secretly he's got like a, he, you know, he's so stupid for thinking his stuff is good or didn't. Like, there was none of that. The joke wasn't. Mick is so dumb or Mick, Mick wrote badly or that Mick is stupid for thinking his writing is any good. Mm-hmm. There was no, the joke, the is joke that was it's him. And he, re- and he's like, fine, I have a fucking family. Are you happy? Yeah. And the joke was that they were the, the comedy. It wasn't necessarily a joke with a punchline, but the comedy came yes. from watching their reactions. But again, their reactions after the initial, huh? Were overwhelmingly positive. It was a bait and switch of expectations that didn't come off as mean spirited. And that's really rare. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I, I really did. I loved it. I loved that. It, and I loved that it was still silly and schlocky. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like he was writing war and peace and that's fine because it doesn't have to be war and peace to Who's be any war in. Get it. Cause, 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 cause. I love you. That was really cute. Thank you. <laughs> I thought you I cuz it took me a second too cuz I thought I'd legitimately like slurred my words or something. No, but No, I was making I was making a pun. I love you. Um that said This is why this is why they told us not to do this anymore. <laughs> I did love that. It just made me really legitimately happy that it was also schlocky because I am a big advocate for schlocky things still being good and having relevant messages or endearing content. It's literally the reason why I watch the show. Yeah. So the fact that they're self-aware of that, probably, if this is any indication, is also nice. If we want to go into Every- romance, let's let's talk. Let's talk about. Um, I mean, like there isn't really a lot to. I mean, like here's the thing with Avalanche: is it's just it's cute. It comes from a good place. Um, I do have that constant anxiety I have whenever a main character on a CW show gets a love interest. Oh God! Yeah, because we felt the oh, same thing God. with Cynthia and Cisco, where we were really worried. But then um, she seems to be fine. It's just that the actress got a better fucking offer because the Flash is. Ugh, no. I mean, we're one to talk. We're talking about how Legends is hemorrhaging actors, but like Legends is hemorrhaging actors. But at least it's still a good show. It's this the season of the last two seasons of the Flash have been a fucking nightmare. And for how very dare they be reasons. a fucking nightmare when Cisco and Iris have looked so good. They have looked so fucking good, and it makes Cisco's me angry. Cisco's hair in seasons three and four have been the best it's ever been, and you do me like this. Yeah, it's it's it really is. It's it, it, it now that I'm it is honest to fucking god. It's like some picture of Dorian Gray shit, where like the worse the show gets, the more beautiful they look. So I feel obligated to watch it, and I fucking hate it. Um, it's unfair, but I I really loved number one the fact that. Again, to go to make this about Zari again, um, the fact that Sarah 
think so highly of Zari and can't say it Mm -hmm. because that's really endearing. And also because it's one of those things I love where Zari also thinks very highly of her and can't say it. And I'm like, just kiss. And secondly, I loved watching Ava's face when Sarah's like, she doesn't listen. She's doing this. And Ava's like, wow, I wonder what that like. Ava, yeah, self-awareness on this team is in shambles. Oh, weird. Weird how that happens. I wouldn't know anything about dealing with somebody who doesn't listen to what you're trying to fucking tell them what to do. I wouldn't know how to deal with somebody who doesn't follow the rules, Sarah. And then Sarah would be like, I'm talking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Ava, were you saying something? Oh, I'm sorry. What? But it was really, and it was, and it wasn't mean spirited. She just looked kind of like amused that Sarah hadn't put two and two together. I think it's really clever for the show to acknowledge how much of a family this is. And that for Sarah, because she's been on this show for three seasons, it means she's been on this team the longest. And I think she is the person who the most, I'm like, here's the thing. I don't think Ray needs this in the same way. Cause Ray is Ray. Ray is Ray. Um, but Sarah, Sarah needs someone. She needs like a girlfriend who's not on the team who she can call and be like, Oh my God, my family is driving me crazy. She does. I mean, as much as I'd love to see Ava on the wave rider more, I am also legitimately glad that Ava is someone that Sarah can go to for an outside perspective. Because again, as the de facto leader now, she needs somebody who she can go to for an outside perspective and a place to vent where she's not afraid of it coming back to bite her in the ass. Like if she vents to Ava about what obnoxious brats the team is be are being to her one day, it's not going to result in something going wrong because of her venting to Ava. Like she's not going to go and tell Amaya and Zari and they're not going to have a fight about it during admission or anything like that. It's something she can kind of do consequence-free so that stress factor is taken off. Yes. You do need that outside perspective. Because also um, if she complains to one legend about the others, it comes across as favoritism. Yeah, that's the other thing, is it allows her to complain in a way that doesn't um, feel manipulative or asking people to pick sides because it it doesn't really, it doesn't have the same effect. Like, she can't complain to Amaya about Zari because Amaya would immediately jump to Zara's defense, but also because she can't seem like she's trying to sow discord among the team. And she knows that, which is very smart emotionally for someone like Sarah, because Sarah doesn't always have the best emotional intelligence. So I think it's interesting that that's just something she's she... Growing. She's growing, but also I do think it's in part probably Ava was like, hey, you can call me and vent. And Sarah realized the benefits of it without reali- having come to the conclusion herself necessarily. But I do... The scene they had together really was just very tender and soft. I just love Sarah doing a crossword. Ava, like, hey, you doing a crossword? And Sarah's just been, like, fucking drawing penises in the boxes. She's like, haha, I've drawn tiny dicks. I, she can't, she can't. Sarah can't read, so I don't know how she's doing the crossword. It's like, it's like, remember that episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine where Jake tries to get a New Yorker subscription so he can look smart at Captain Holt's party? Yes. Like, Sarah literally frantically ordering copies of the, uh, all the major newspapers and trying to do, read the New York Times to impress Ava is really cute. <laughs> Ava, like, but, Sarah, like, yeah, I'm, I'm smart, I'm worldly. Where is I run? <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 it was, I really loved... It felt very warm and very comfy mm-hmm. in a way that Sarah needed. I'm genuinely happy that Ava Lance is going in the direction that it's going in. I admit that when this when it happened first in the episode, I cringed a little just because I'm like, there are certain fans who are only going to talk about this scene and not talk hey, about it. Hey, did you know that this stuff? entire episode was just about Zari shipping Ava Lance? Yeah, I've seen a lot of that. And if you've been doing that, I'm not naming names. Do not make a Zari specific episode. Anytime you make a non-white character about uh, white, of characters. A white couple, 
it's really fucking bad. You cannot do that. Like, and and I, I understand being passionate, but you must consider. And like, and this is something I say. Remember how I tell people that if you're an academic, you must consider the historical context of a work as well as the modern context of a work. You must consider the canonical context of a show, but you also must consider the real world context of what is going on. Nothing exists in a vacuum and you need to take a look at your actions and like, and I'm not perfect. I've done shit where people are like, this is too far or this is hurtful. And I have to take a step back and be like, okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't notice that. Same. And, like, and, and this is same. not a chance for you to flay yourself and be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm boo-boo the racist. Like, just, just be passionate it about it if you like it. But don't make a Muslim woman's thing about two white women. Yeah. Like, again, I am also excited for the Ava Lance date next episode. But Amaya's going to be dressed as a fucking pirate. Well, those are two, again, those are two separate concepts. I'm yeah. excited about both, but I wouldn't want to cross the streams. Like, narratively speaking, you can be like, hey, Ava and Sarah had a really cute moment this episode, but, and that's great. I literally just said I loved how tender and intimate it was. That said, it's not their episode, and also, it's not, I've seen a lot of people, and I'm sure they mean well, but when they're talking about Zari shipping Ava Lance, it just comes off as like patronizing and sort of reduces her character to like, Oh, the shipper of the, the two white mm-hmm. um, sapphic characters in a way that's just not necessary. Like you can talk about Zari in this episode and you can be like, wow, that was really great. I really loved her interactions with everybody. I loved her growing and developing. And also I love the little Ava Lance moment they had in just don't try to combine them. And like Rachel said, like, don't, if you've done this, you don't have to publicly flay yourself. You don't have to, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to say shit about it. You can just say, huh? Won't do that again. And then not do it again. It's okay. If you learn, you don't have to make a big spectacle of how important it is that you've learned and how you've grown as a person. You can just move on. I promise. It's okay. I promise. Um, with that said, I genuinely loved that Zari and Sarah had a lot of bonding this episode because we also watched them go from very argumentative and very frustrated with each other to it did feel like it felt like arguments I have with my sister sometimes. Yeah which was a good thing. Like it felt like yelling and having this big fucking to do and then coming back and being like, man, I'm sorry. You're pretty great. Like, you know, it was nice to see Zari have to acknowledge that she really cares about these people. But I also loved the scene when Sarah thinks that Zari's about to shoot herself in the head and she's thinking in her head, Oh my God, it's because I was so, I was so harsh on her. I was really hard on her. And now she's going to die. Her reaction is so fucking agonizing. Like Zari's reaction and Zari's mentality and mindset in that moment were so painful, but coupled with Sarah thinking I'm a monster and I'm going to make Zari kill herself. Given that Sarah probably feels responsible for Laurel's death because oh yeah, she does. grief is fucked like that. Uh, Sarah feels responsible for Laura, Laurel's death, not being able to save her, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of other things she regrets. She feels, and then she, I, I mean, think, a lot of people on this team have died or gotten hurt. Yeah, but not in this way. Like, people on this team have died and gotten hurt. No one shot themselves in the fucking head, like, or seems to have been shooting themselves in the head over, like, an argument. Yeah. So Sarah's thinking, I was literally so harsh on her, I made her want to kill herself. I'm a fucking monster. And, like, that's not what happened. But her reaction in that moment was so genuine and so sad that it made me feel awful for both of them. Like, that was a really good moment. And mm-hmm. it was, to go back to Zari again, um, after the 420 death tape, uh, I hate so much. And Zari says, well, fuck it, I guess I'll die. 
number one, her mindset in that moment was agonizing, but also seeing everyone on the team jump to her defense and try to protect her. Like when Nate literally, like he makes like this little gesture to Amaya, like he, they have like an attack plan for going and saving her. And that's the sweetest fucking it thing. It was so much. That was such a shonen fucking moment. Like we have to save her. Like, come on everybody. Let's like power up and go save our friend. Like that was so good. There was are really, really good. good. There are really good. OT3 there was episodes. a lot I- of sadness. Sorry, carried this episode. And I've seen people who are like gay women sort of be like, there's a lot I related to. I relate to how she had an eternity to tell Amaya how she feels and was just like, you should fuck a different person. Well, it was the sort of thing There's where... There's nothing in this episode that confirms Zari's... That confirms that she isn't a lesbian. Is or isn't, fair. I, I mean, like, here's the thing, is that, like, she does seem very sad about Amaya and Nate in a lot of ways. And I think it's fair to say that. But it's also not fair to give... I mean, like, Legend's credit because she's in flannel and she seems sad about Amaya and Nate. It's the sort of stuff where I think sometimes what happens is we as queer people do recognize that certain stereotypes about us are things we actually do. Like, yeah, I have like three fucking, I'm literally looking at like three fucking flannel shirts that are hanging on my closet rack right now. I have flannel shirts. I am, I have, you know, the bisexual leather jacket. I, I have all these like fashion and, 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 makeup or, or, or other aesthetic cues that clue you into the fact that I'm queer. But I know that and I am deliberately doing that to signal to other queer people that I am queer because it's never been safe to, to ask someone outright if they're queer because you don't know what their reaction might, might be. That's why when you look back through queer history, there's been a lot of coded things like wearing green for gay men or wearing white hats or wearing carnations or, or wearing lavender or all these things that were a way of saying, hey, me too, without necessarily having to literally stand up and shout, I also gay. And that matters when we're doing it. But when, uh, I mean, again, maybe all of the writers aren't straight, but when a presumed bunch of straight people are writing a character, a female character in a flannel making faces at a woman who she's been close with in a very already kind of over the top way having sex with a man it feels like they are playing it as like comedy because the intent zari didn't decide to wear flannel to signal that she's gay to other gay people because zari doesn't have that because she's a a character character. yeah she's not allowed to express that um and even though tala is a real person even if that was the case tala also can't really do that because she's still sort of constrained by the script and and things like that but I was disappointed because it really did just the difference between Zari and Amaya's moments versus Ava and Sarah's moments was a little jarring. And I was like, I don't think you're taking Ava. I mean, I don't think you're taking Amaya and Zari seriously and you should be. But Mm -hmm. by that same token, I'm getting really sick and tired of, I I see some people who have no good reason. We're getting really long. Okay. Uh, um, I'll, I'll finish up soon. Promise. Okay. Sorry. Finish my thought. But um, I've seen some people who I think they think that supporting Amari means hating Nate and uh, you're not helping. And like part of it is because I, you know, identify with him so thoroughly mm. as a trans mask character, as a trans non-binary yeah. person. But I also feel like you can, a lot of the frustration I had with how people treated Nate and Amaya's relationship this this uh, yeah. episode was because they seemed to think this episode confirmed that Zari 
and Amaya are definitely in love. And like, yeah, there were some moments, but again, look at how those moments are portrayed next to the moments that are, we know are leading towards a canonical in narrative sapphic mm. relationship. It's getting frustrating because it is becoming really deliberate. Zari's got a really butchy outfit in the fifties. Zari's wearing flannel. There are reasons I mm. am not saying that people can't look at her and see a lesbian because they're putting mm. these things out there. And we who are used to reading the codes of other real life queer people are thinking, Oh, lesbian. But sometimes these things are being used to bait or hurt us or say things without having to deliver on them and by by straight creators. And like, that's not fair. And that fucking sucks because yeah, the moment in the, when she's got the bomb and she's like, she has that moment with Amaya and it's short and it's quick, but it was such a, I'm going to be a weeb again for a minute. It reminded me of when Tomoyo tells Sakura in Cardcaptor Sakura, you should go be with Sioran and be happy. I love you, but you should be happy with your male soulmate. And like that, it smacked of that sort of, I want my beloved to be happy. It really did. You know, again, these are all valid things people can discuss. I think that they're worth discussing. Yes. I think they also need to be evaluated in the larger context of... Remember, canonical context, critical context. Mm -hmm. And it frustrates me because there's a lot of room to interpret Mm -hmm. Zari as not straight, whether she's bisexual or a lesbian. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's being treated seriously by the show. On that happy note, I'm going to talk about one last thing because we have been really getting along. Uh... Gideon is a horny weed bitch. Gideon is the horniest weed bitch of all time. Gideon is the horniest weed robot of all time. 420 blaze it. Because again, the fact, and it took me, it took me until I turned the episode off and was just kind of sitting there like basking in it for a few minutes. I was like, wait, Gideon made that 420 joke. That wasn't even an organic, like, oh, one of the characters made a weed joke. That was Gideon putting in a 420 joke because she thought it'd be fucking funny. And and it was. Worst. And and, and it it was was really funny, but I hate it. (laughs) Gideon's comedic timing, impeccable. Mm-hmm. This was like, I, I, there were so many, I, fuck, I love this episode. So um, I loved Gideon. I love seeing Zari and Gideon interact. I do think yeah. Gideon remembers. I know she was like, oh, I don't know what you're talking. I well, think she remembers. The, okay, actually, it does. Remember how last season we were like, how does Riffin, how do Riffin Gideon, like, how is she in his head? Is there like a, ma- like, and so there is some kind of mental matrix that she exists in i guess yes there is a way that she can i they, it was a lot of mumbo jumbo when she was like oh well the temple oh my god this wait time. ari didn't we make up that gideon has like a fucking magic yeah i thought that when she was like oh i uploaded your brain onto this i'm like hey i wrote that into a fix stop stealing my we shit. used it exclusively for sex but in all yeah. fairness so did she i mean yeah i hate this i hate this so much if you have i don't even if any of you fuckers are listening to this or reading my fix, stop it. Phil, I don't know how you got onto the drive with your little talons, but I need you to get off. We haven't published the real sin, like the, you know, but like, I don't want to, I don't want a single fucking ask for it. I no, no, I don't want to see. I want you to forget. We said it. Cause you think you want it. You don't want it. Um, that said, um, I do think Gideon remembers because she remembers that she and Rip made out for, some reason it was but so yeah. weird during the simulation how she and riff were just making up the whole time. that should have been a clue yeah it was weird it was weird um i also am uh one last thing because we've established yes. love our horny weed bitch gideon i am so happy to see wally back i also think it's really funny that he's been watching too many kung fu movies and apparently is going the full uh old man on the mountain style training i can't believe he uh, made riff hunter climb a bunch of stairs you know how he feels about the stairs he has delicate little bird lungs like you almost killed him wallace but I am so... We compare a lot of people to birds. And I do want to say something. Birds are great. 
Uh, yeah. Um, thanks. End thanks of statement. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I was, I've, I've expressed that I have slight issues with um, Wally being cast in a larger context of black actors and black characters are interchangeable. That said, I am so happy to see him back. I love my son. Mm-hmm. Wally is my favorite Flash. I love Kanan. I love Wally. I love the show. I am so happy he's here. I am so happy that Rip is apparently in love with him. Um, me too. I, me too. But I am so happy to see Wally. I am so excited yep. to see Wally. Um, okay, I'm so, so next, week, next week. Yes, next week is, is Pirates. I honestly don't know if Amaya is going to get possessed by a pirate spirit and go wild or if Amaya has just secretly been really into pirates this whole time. I think I think a little bit of both. And then uh, Sarah and Ava. Here's the thing. I And, you know, I'll talk about this more next week. I don't love Sarah's date outfit. I think she could have done better. But we also know that fashion is not Sarah's real thing. So, like, it makes it. But but we'll get to that next week. Uh-huh. Um, and um, I can't wait. I can't wait for fucking Ava to show up and be like, what are you drinking? And Sarah, like, putting putting the 40 under the table. A martini. Yeah. Like it was, it was, I feel like Sarah has literally just put beer and grape cough syrup and is like, I love wine. What this, is this? This is wine. This is wine, right? Yeah. Puts a couple of grapes in fucking vodka that comes in a plastic bottle. Wine. <laughs> this is an aqueous martini. Um, I am so excited for this though. I'm just, I, I, I cannot stress how happy I am that the show is consistently good. I am so happy we got a Zari episode. I know yes. we talked about Zari this whole episode, but we still haven't talked about her enough. I love Zari. I love this episode. Yes. yes. I love these characters. I love the show. Fuck, this was a good episode. For everything. It was even good about stuff I didn't expect mm-hmm. it to be good about, like fandom and character development yep. and narrative. Like, that's nice. Thanks. And guys. Brandon Routh's horrible enormous i just i just before we end the that episode they fucking posted they they, I, they the disco video that katie posted where you can and, and it's and i'm like and like i know we joked about how big it is his, his wife but before we end the episode i want everyone to know that it's not a fucking joke not a joke we these we, are we people's, li- li- these are people's lives <laughs> like oh my god um also, uh, Ray would be able to walk in heels better than that. I'm just going to throw that out there before we close off. Uh, Isn't I'm there enough fetish shit this week? I mean, no. <laughs> kind of. At least I mean, no we did, we did narrowly escape tentacles. We narrowly escaped tentacles. We really, I was, I was bracing myself. I am so happy we missed that. We, can't, we just God. can't afford the graphics for it. <laughs> it was going to be like fucking wacky arm, inflatable arm tube bands as tentacles. Oh god, I hate this show. Anyway, okay, um, I'm excited for next week of this horrible nightmare that never seems to I, end. I am gonna make so many fucking One Piece references. I hope everyone's ready to never. I've never <laughs> interacted with One Piece as a piece of media. Ugh, fake. and I do not have the time to start. You don't have the time to start. I well, actually, it took me three months to catch up, so I shouldn't say that. In any case, I'm gonna... um, good night, listeners. Thank you for. I know this was an extra long podcast, but we love Zari that much. Uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. Okay. Uh, I was going to come up with something snappy to stay, but I can't. So uh, stay in school. Uh, school, Bye. Bye. Did you say take your milk?